0: time I surfaced I can tell you now I felt really ill I don't know what was wrong with me my head was spinning I had terrible pain behind my both eyes and uh, I managed to get aboard and uh, my brother John was very kind he he managed to get me aboard and sit me down and he was worried because I was disorientated Uh, I I couldn't see properly I was very worried I thought I was going to black out I couldn't focus properly with my eyes, the pain behind my eyes was excruciating, and Raymond in particular was pretty sure that I had a bend. Aquanaut: my adventures and misadventures in the early days of scuba diving off the Cornish coast. Written and read by me, James Wheeler. I've decided not to uh, talk about every wreck that we found and salvaged, but to focus on probably the most exciting. I've told you that we dived on the stone and uh, dived on the City of Westminster, but we thought there must be more there to find. And the whole area was quite vast, by the way. And um, we discovered that uh, with our photograph that there was quite a plateau on one side of the reef where the water was only about 70 feet deep. So anyway, in the event we decided to keep going back to the Roundstone whenever conditions were right. And I say that with some emphasis because it had to be perfect to dive there. Sea conditions were never ideal. It was always a big ground swell around the reef. And also, of course, the problem of the tides. So we decided to calculate our dives on slack water, of course, and also on neap tides, where there's not much movement in, in the tide, in and out. So that gave us quite a window to dive on. So with these calculations in mind, and the conditions are ideal, we decided to always try and go back to the run stone to see what we could find. Somehow, I personally felt there was more there for us to find So on this weekend we went back to the Rolling Stone, as usual in a fairly decent sea, it wasn't too heavy and by the time we got there it had calmed down a bit and uh, I must admit that uh, the Rolling Stone's something spooky about it for me personally the sound of the whistle from the marker boy and the clanging of the bell was so monotonous it was, it was calling us... Uh, there and a very spooky fitting for me personally and put me off diving there completely however that's another issue which i had to deal with so on this particular day we got out there and decided to use our photograph to search the area on one side of the reef on the Benzant side of the reef rather than the land's end side which was deeper We were in luck. I don't know how it happened, but uh, we picked up what looked on the photograph as a sizable wreckage. We dropped the anchor right away. Um, Bob, as always, was the first to dive, and he hadn't been gone that long when he surfaced with a full of excitement that he'd found what, in fact, was a ship's border. Um, I immediately got kitted up the dive after him, and uh, he gave me some idea which way to go. Um, of course, we had to at this time put ourselves down the anchor rope to be sure that we were coming to the same area. And I did this, I swam down the anchor and swam in a direction towards the Penzance area, which I knew was the, the shallower side of the reef, at about 75 feet. And I came across a lot of wreckage. And then suddenly, looming out before me, was this huge ship's boiler. What a fantastic sight. It must have been a big ship for the boiler to be that size. Wreckage everywhere around it and i just decided to do a sweep around the border to see what i could find put on myself between pretty thick kelp seaweed forests because that's what it was like there because it was shallow enough for the kelp to grow prodigiously in that area of the reef and next thing i knew i bumped into something i wasn't quite sure what it was when i looked up and i found myself hanging beneath a gun it was quite a big gun with a long barrel sticking up and I thought my goodness this must have been some kind of naval ship or a cargo ship carrying a gun to protect itself I remember swimming up and straddling the barrel um I reckoned it was a three inch gun 75 millimeter uh barrel and um Maybe anti-aircraft gun, but whatever it was, it was certainly a big gun. It was placed on a huge circular mounting, so I reckon that uh, this must have been part of the ship and had fallen off or broken off and landed completely upright on the seabed amongst the wreckage. It's quite exciting, but a bit spooky. I must admit. So I kept my dive going around the area hoping to find some decent pickings for salvage and before very long I had to quit because my air ran out but the the important thing was we had found a new wreck and uh, we felt there must be something there worthwhile uh, having and coming back again. Well, that's what we did. Uh, we decided to uh, come there another day. We got some landmarks while we were there, and um, so we could find find it easily, or not easily, but more easily. But also we had the photograph, so we knew that on our next dive, if you went in that vicinity, we would bound to pick up the border, and that would be a great marker of exactly where right over the wreck. So that was something to look forward to, and uh, realise now that uh, as long as conditions were right, we could always go back there and see what we could find on the wreck. When we got back home, I decided to do a little bit of research, and I won't go into the details, but I found a number of wrecks listed um, on the Stone, and one of them was called the Moorview, Now the Moorview was apparently a cargo ship, but she was carrying ammunition. So I thought maybe this, if if it's a cargo ship carrying ammunition, she might have also had a gun. And that could have been the very wreck that we dived on. In fact, it turned out later, much later, that I was quite right. We had in fact found the wreck of the Moorview. So on future dives, we had some idea of what we would be looking for uh, when we got to the Moorview she could be carrying anything ammunition anything to do with the war and of course it was obviously the first world war that i'm talking about how she was wrecked there we'll never know but uh, one of the wrecks on the stone so our next die was to be on the wellness stone again Unfortunately, we had to wait some weeks because the weather was not uh, good enough. It was, uh, had some rough seas, and uh, of course, it would have been impossible to dive there uh, if conditions weren't right. So when the time came, we were able to go back to the stone. Remember, I abbreviated the stone because that's what the local fishermen tended to call it. We went back to the stone with the view of finding the boiler again in the same spot with the echo sounder, ferrograph and then diving the same wreck. So we did this, the three of us, Raymond, Bob and myself. We went out there on a fairly decent day. Visibility was good, sea conditions were not bad. And we got there, calculated the tides correctly and my goodness, we were very lucky the photograph picked up the the ship's boiler right away. It was so distinct this um big square shape coming up registering on the photograph on the echo sounder. So the plan was that we should motor over the boiler, go ahead of it, and then drop the anchor with the view that when the anchor was let out, we could drift back almost directly over the ship's boiler and then secure the anchor. So this is what we did most successfully. So now our boat, Aquanaut, we knew was directly above the boiler of the wreck that we'd found. And from the boiler, of course, we had some idea of direction as to where to find the gun and from there, the bulk of the wreckage. This was a great success. We got it off to a T. Uh, anchoring just in the right place. and uh, So Bob, as usual, was the first to dive and uh, right at the end of his dive, Bob came up looking very excited and uh, swam to the side of the boat. We were able to hold him, hold him, hold him with a rope, save him being swept away. He must have come up the anchor rope, of course, otherwise he would have been swept away by the tide. And we were holding him there, and he shouted up. I found something really worthwhile, he said. So it was my turn to go down, and Bob insisted that he had enough air left for me to go down with him because he wanted to show me exactly what he'd found. down we went together, I followed Bob down, followed his flippers through the heavy kelp and then came across some wreckage. We were about 75 to 80 feet depending on the terrain and um, it was fantastic. We came across some wreckage and what looked like a huge pile of something and we just didn't know what it was and Bob cleared away some, some metal and they pulled out what looked like a brass roll, a roll of brass, and uh, it seemed to be bound together by a copper wire. Well, <clears throat> we soon realised that if this was the case, it looked as though there was a lot more there. But of course, we, Bob ran out of air and he had to go back up. So I had enough time to search the area more thoroughly. And see just how much brass rolls uh, we had found. On the bottom uh, it looked as though when I was looking at them that they might have been used for making uh, artillery shells and um, that turned out to be the case that we found out later. So they weighed I reckon about 25 pounds um, for each, each rolls it was quite heavy and um, that making about four of them to make a hundredweight. Well, I'll talk in modern terms if you like, 50 kilograms was a hundredweight. So these were four of them to make up 50 kilograms and uh, quite a weight. So I, I swam around the whole area, searching more and more for what I could find until my air ran out. So I made my way back to the border and of course, I knew exactly where I was and um, came up right beneath Aquanaut and was able to get aboard safely. Bob, in the meantime, I'd forgot to mention, had taken one brass roll up with him. And uh, when it was revealed on the boat uh, uh, exactly what it was, we were quite excited because as you broke the the copper wire binding the roll together, it unrolled and it looked like a sheet of gold. It was completely preserved, beautiful brass, and clearly quite valuable. So we would found something really exciting. And now we thought we've got to lift this and that would be our next task on our next trip to the And that's exactly what was to happen. Incidentally, when I climbed aboard, I had noticed, because I was so excited about finding these these brass rolls, that my suit appeared to be alive. I can't put it any other way. In fact, I looked at my suit, and I was covered in white worms. From head to toe, I had thousands of white worms all over my suit, crawling around these little worms. It was ghastly, and I thought, my goodness, these can only be parasites. They must have thought that I was some kind of animal, so they were attached themselves to, and sucked my blood dry. But in fact, uh, it was most peculiar. I decided to um, just grab all the rope, jump overboard again, with the view of getting rid of them in the water. But to no avail. I climbed aboard the board ladder, got back on board, and they were still there. So I had to put up with it. I never knew to this day what they were but it was very unpleasant so <laughs> be diving and being covered with all these parasites god knows what they were but they were clearly parasites so that was the end of that dive finishing up um, almost being eaten alive by parasites <laughs> So uh, on our next dive we were of course ready to go return to the Runstern to dive on the wreck of the Moorview with a view of finding something really worth having. And um, we had a follow-up procedure. Of course conditions had to be right and uh, we were very limited by the conditions, but on this particular weekend we decided to go and um, we had to follow a pretty clear procedure to be sure that we were in the right place. First of all, with the echo sounder the photograph, we must relocate the ship's border again. And uh, that would be the first thing to do. The second thing would be to motor past the border of the wreck and drop the anchor ahead of it with a view of Aquanaut, our boat, drifting back directly over the top of it. Um, This we did very successfully on this occasion. And uh, the plan was then to try and dive down and make sure that we could get a a location of the boat directly above the wreckage that we were going to salvage. And uh, we took a rope down with us. Bob and I went down together and took a slack rope down with us. And we found the exact spot past the border and the gun where the wreckage was and where the the brass rolls that we had found were located and we managed to pull the rope tight so what we were doing was putting Aquanaut almost directly over the the salvage site. Um, The next task then was to secure the rope so I wound up the rope once tied to the wreckage and we were pretty good at it we got Aquanaut almost directly above the wreckage begun to salvage and the rope down to the wreck was virtually vertical however um, it seemed easy at the time but it was damn hard work doing this but that was the most important thing to get the boat right above the the salvage that we were hoping to get so we had a vertical line now straight from the boat to the salvage and uh, the next thing of course was to search again and see just how much wreckage uh, and salvage and um, brass rolls in fact that we had found and uh, it, w- it was soon revealed that we found a heck of a lot hundreds if hundreds of them all stashed up and uh, they were very difficult of course to, to um to free because they they're all been fused together so the, the next stage was to get jemmy bars and wrench them free from each other, and um, with the view of sending one roll at a time up the vertical rope to the surface. Well, this could only be done by having another rope with a, co- with a ring on it, so that it could be lowered down from the boat. Uh, attach the brass roll to, that, to that, ro- that rope, and then that would be able to be pulled up directly. Each roll pulled up directly on the vertical rope. So we experimented with this and found that the first two or three rolls we went up very successfully. However, um, (coughs) this prevented uh, us from doing it at any speed and we realised that uh, to get this lot of salvage up would take a long time doing it one or, or two rolls at a time, bearing in mind that each roll weighed 25 pounds. So, you know, it was quite a lot of weight going up on each pull. And then we had another problem. We've miscalculated because you have to remember that it's not flat calm on the surface. An aquanaut, being a, a pretty hefty boat, was rising and falling with, with the sea, the motion of the sea. So the vertical rope would sometimes go slack, And when the aquanaut rose up by the sea, the vertical rope was like a violin string. And we soon realized that we were going to snap it. And that's exactly what happened. The strength of of the sea lifting aquanaut up, it snapped the vertical rope. And we realized that we're not going to get this brass up unless we devise some other method. So that was a learning curve. And we had to find some way of overcoming this problem. And uh, that we did on another occasion. So on that particular dive, it was uh, an experiment to see what we could do and how we could lift the brass rolls. And uh, we had to think again about how we should take a new approach so it wouldn't be snapping ropes every time we tried to do a lift. And uh, I must confess, it was my brother John Who really came out with us because he was often so seasick and uh, he came up with a brilliant idea the idea was that we should get a a heavy duties lorry spring from a suspension of a lorry and uh, that the idea was that we should attach the the vertical rope from the boat to one end of the spring and the other end with a wire to the wreck So when the aquanaut rose and fell, the spring would stretch. And uh, the spring was only about, I would say, just over two feet long. And so that would be the next time we dive, we'd we'd get a, a lorry spring. And hopefully this would work. But it was all very experimental. And the only way we could try it out was to actually do it on another occasion. I might add that uh, while we realised we found quite a a worthwhile salvage here, we didn't realise quite how much there was. But freeing them with our jemmy bars, remember we're working underwater, we're working at 70 feet plus, and burning up a lot of air and absorbing a lot of nitrogen when you're working hard underwater. So it wasn't easy freeing these brass rolls which have been fused together over probably 100 years. And uh, it was damn hard work, exhausting work, uh, each time that we were to go out. But uh, disappointing, of course, on the first attempt, because the rope snapped, and uh, we realised that uh, we will have to do something better than this on our next dive. So now we'd uh, come through another learning curve and uh, the plan was on our next dive to uh, obtain obtain the lorry spring in the meantime and try it out. So we went out back to the stone, this infamous place with the sound of that awful marker boy whistling and the bell clanging, which I always found very weird. Uh, I was always reluctant to go out there to be honest, I knew the place was pretty awful. Conditions weren't bad this day, and on this particular day, which is quite unusual, my brother John came. And uh, I'm glad he came, because you'll find out later he was a great help to me. So there were four of us this, this time, and um, we did the same procedure. We located this, the, rec, the border of the Moorview, the wreck of the Moorview, did the same Rashidu exactly dropped the anchor ahead of it, drifted back over the border, um, then dived and located the exact wreckage we begun to salvage, got the rope down and pulled the anchor and rock directly above the wreckage we were begun to salvage. Only this time, of course, at the lower end of the rope, we had attached the, the lorry, lorry spring coil with, with steel wire On the other end of the steel wire, we attached it to the wreckage. So we had a vertical rope now going straight to Aquanaut. And it proved absolutely a great success. With the rise and fall of the motion of the sea on the boat above, the spring was extending from 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 two feet to almost four feet. It was extending enormously and actually not snapping and not breaking. So we overcame the problem of snapping the vertical rope. And it was a brilliant idea. So that was a great success. So Bob went down with me on the first dive. Um, we fixed all this up and got it really operational. And then we had the second rope coming down on a ring with a wire to put through each coil of brass roll in fact we decided to put the wire through two coils at a time and with the winch above pulling up we managed to lift two rolls at a time well we went great guns we kept on lifting lots and lots of of brass rolls I forget how many but it seemed endless they were coming freer each time we managed to use our jemmy bars and pull them out two of us operating together. And when Bob's air ran out, I was left down there doing it. And uh, <clears throat> we decided to do more than one dive because we were getting greedy. We were lifting brass rolls at a rate of knots. And uh, I surfaced uh, as usual, having run out of air. Immediately, I didn't even get aboard the boat. I immediately had a bottle put over the side and I went down again on the second dive because I just saw the money and not the danger. So down I went again, and began to do the same thing, freeing the brass rolls, putting a wire through each one, two at a time, giving the signal, but I pulled, and up they went to the surface of Aquanaut. Well, we were going, going so well at this, I, I soon ran out of air, because I was very tired working down there, but I felt okay. So I surfaced, one out of air with another bottle ready for me to go down again. I didn't even get back in the boat. I put on a third bottle of air and just dived, dived again a third time to do the same thing. And when I got down there, I was freeing these brass rolls two or three at a time and sending them up. However, I began to feel very tired and a little bit dizzy, I remember, so I decided to abandon it. And I surfaced. The time I surfaced, I can tell you now, I felt really ill. I don't know what was wrong with me. My head was spinning. I had terrible pain behind my both eyes. And uh, I managed to get aboard. And uh, my brother John was very kind. He he managed to get me aboard and sit me down. And he was worried because I was disorientated. Uh, I, I couldn't see properly. I was very worried. I thought I was going to black out. I couldn't focus properly with my eyes. The pain behind my eyes was excruciating. And the Raymond in particular was pretty sure that I had a bend. They didn't know what to do with me, to be honest. So Bob went down, freed the vertical rope and the, the oil spring, and he decided to... Pull up, pull up anchor and head for home with me not really knowing what was going on. I felt so ill. We got back after over two hours steaming back to Newlyn, and, uh, I don't remember the details And know my brother, uh, Raymond, uh, drove me back home in in, 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 in the car and, uh, managed to get me to bed and, uh, All I remember is that uh, when I woke up, I felt a lot better. Uh, Somehow I dispersed the, I breathed out and exhaled and dispersed the nitrogen that was in me. It was a lucky call. I mean, I think I obviously got the bends. And of course, it only happened because I did three dives in excess of 70 feet in one day. And of course, that's not on the cards. So that was certainly a learning curve. Um. And it showed us that uh, you can be too greedy, too successful, you overcome the uh, <coughs> the <coughs> problem of thinking about decompression sickness by just wanting to recover all this money. We recovered that day, we recovered about half a ton of brass rolls. I mean, Aquanaut was weighed down with brass rolls. And we brought them back to harbour and... Uh, um, they were kept on board I believe for a couple of days because he wanted to take them off without being spotted by the receiver or wreck or the harbour master in Newland Harbour so um, that was the next task we had to do so um, that was a, a procedure we followed within a couple of evenings actually we went down there with the van and our cars to the Newlyn Quay and and um, unloaded, and under cover of darkness, uh, these brass rolls uh, in a box about... You no know, We couldn't carry more than four at a time because they weighed so much. It took two of us to carry one box up. And we had a van load of brass rolls ready to take to the scrapyard. And we thought uh, this was only the beginning of a lot more to come. But uh, it was a very successful trip. And of course... We learnt that we must never overdo it um, and be sensible about it and just get enough up at one time to be sure that we are all safe without getting into decompression sickness. So uh, that was a lesson, a hard lesson for me in particular to learn. I just got so greedy. I had no fear and no thought of getting, uh, getting a bend and decompression sickness. But that's what must have happened to me. And in a word I was very lucky, it could have been a lot worse and if I stayed down any longer of course it could have been the end of me. I could have had a, 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 a bend attached to my, in my brain and it could have been the end of me. So a well, big mistake, all too greedy and a lesson to be learned. In the next episode, I want to talk about further dives on the Stone, diving on the wreck of the Moorview, and the great pickings that we had, and uh, how exciting it all was, and how, of course, um, how successful it was in the end of recovering some quite valuable metal.